2: i Michael Keegan, your host. Governments depend on effective senior leadership. It is as important an element as can be found in today's public service, one which will determine whether government programs will run efficiently and produce the performance and results citizens expect and deserve. The legacy of today's senior public sector leaders and elected officials can be to leave behind the people, the culture, and the systems in place that ensures public service truly serves the citizenry. It is important for senior government leaders who are moving on from public service to share their reflections on the work they do and the missions they pursued. Today, I'm happy to welcome outgoing two-term treasurer of the state of Ohio, Josh Mandel, to reflect on his public service career and his leadership of the state treasurer's office. As a treasurer of Ohio, Josh's number one goal was to safely protect tax dollars. He has worked hard Restore the taxpayers' trust in his pursuit of innovative initiatives around financial transparency, leveraging technological advances such as cryptocurrency and blockchain, and enhancing his office and how it does business. Josh Mandel, welcome to the show. It's great to have you.
0: Thanks, Michael. Good to be on.
2: Josh, would you provide us with a brief overview of the history and evolving mission of the state of Ohio's Treasurer's Office? When was it created, and how has its mission evolved to date?
0: Sure. So uh, the state treasurer's office uh, was created around uh, the 1800 uh, mark. Uh, to be exact, it was 1796. It was a guy named John Armstrong, who was the uh, first state treasurer of Ohio. Um, and he was actually the treasurer general for the Northwest territory, and then it became uh, the Ohio Treasurer, and and Ohio officially became a state uh, in uh, 1803. So interestingly enough, the state had a a treasurer before it was uh, was actually a state. Um, And then it became elected in 1851. Uh, It was a prior to that appointed by the legislature. Uh, It was in the state house, the Ohio state house for a a long time. And now uh, you and I are talking uh, from the Rhodes state office tower, which is a big bureaucratic tower that overlooks the uh, Ohio state house in downtown Columbus.
2: So Josh, with such an important mission, could you tell us a little bit more about your office, how it's organized?
0: Sure it's uh it's different from when I came in you know when I first came in here there were probably around 140 budgeted positions you know now we have we have less than 100 people here and we we've been able to trim that down over time just by uh, being fiscally conservative uh, and also uh, using Technology uh, to make the dollars go farther. I've I've, I've been a, a big believer in leveraging modern technology to uh, stretch tax dollars and just run the operation as efficiently uh, as as possible. Uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of people in state governments around the country who shy away from new technology, and we've tried to try to take the opposite approach here. We've really tried to embrace uh, new technology and, and, and seek out new technology and ask the question: How can we use it to empower taxpayers.
2: Uh, Josh, with that context, I'd like to transition to your role. Uh, what are the duties and responsibilities as the treasurer of the state of Ohio?
0: Sure. So my, my main charge is to collect, protect, and invest the state's tax dollars. So, uh, we collect, uh, around, uh, $66 billion, uh, annually. We protect around $232 billion because on top of the tax dollars, we're also, uh, uh, the cust- custodian for the, the state pension funds. In Ohio, we have five state pension funds. The smallest is Highway Patrol. Then you have the school employees who are not teachers. Then you got the police and fire. Then you got the teachers and then you have Ohio PERS, OPERS, which is the largest overarching pension fund that uh, includes a lot of the, the, the local government employees as well. Uh, we, we invest around 22 billion uh, each year and uh, on top of that, you know, we've decided to venture uh, into other areas where we felt we could leverage the leadership of our office to uh, do good for the taxpayers. So, you know, one of those areas we've uh, ventured into is transparency. Uh, We've uh, created a a website called OhioCheckbook.com, which is now the number one ranked transparency website in America. Uh, we uh, we ventured into uh, allowing taxpayers to pay their taxes with cryptocurrency, made Ohio the first state in America to do that. That website is OhioCrypto.com. And we also uh, created the first of its kind 529 investment accounts for individuals with special needs. Those are called stable accounts. And uh, not only are we providing those to individuals with uh, disabilities here in Ohio, but we actually private label uh, the uh, stable accounts for, uh, I think, seven or eight other states around the country.
2: Josh, regarding your responsibilities and duties, what are the top management challenges you face in your position? And and more importantly, how have you sought to address those challenges?
0: I mean, some of the challenges we face here are not unique to our office, but I, I would say these are challenges throughout state governments, throughout the country, is being able to recruit private sector talent. Uh, You know, the state governments are structured in a way where the the pay structure is usually not in line with private sector pay, and so it it makes it difficult to – recruit, uh, private sector talent. So we've been creative in our, uh, recruiting and that we, uh, we, we, often will ask folks in the private sector, give us two years, come in, uh, you know, enter public service, serve your state, serve your community, do good. And then after two years, if you want to go back in the private sector and make more money, you know, by all means do what's best for your family. And what we found is once we've gotten people in here for two years, they've really enjoyed the work because it's meaningful. Uh, and, uh, because of, uh, the meaningful nature. Of their work, um, and, and and also because of uh, you know sometimes having a, a different lifestyle than they would in their previous job, we've been able to, to keep them uh, longer than they originally committed two years. But that's definitely been a challenge is recruiting uh, high level talent from the private sector. And I'm a big believer that you know, government should be identifying private sector talent and bringing it in. You know we need more people in government who've signed the front of a paycheck and who've had to make payroll and, uh, have, have, competed in, in the private marketplace. I think the more of those people we have in both elected office and, you know, in, in other public, uh, positions, uh, the better are, and more efficient our government will be. So that's, that's definitely been a challenge. Um, a, a second challenge has been convincing other policymakers to embrace transparency you know I'm a big believer in transparency and just making government open kimono I, uh, I believe the taxpayers have a right to know how the tax money is being spent um, but unfortunately there's a lot of good old boy politicians out there uh, who don't believe in that concept of, of transparency and so th- sometimes through sugar and sometimes through spice you know we've been able to uh, push Transparency naysayers into uh, transparency champions but uh, but it 's definitely uh, definitely been a challenge i 'd say uh, another another challenge you know has been managing uh, relationships um, up and down, up with federal government and down with local governments, because sometimes the uh, incentives are not aligned. You know, federal government may see the world one way, uh, a city or a village might see the world another way, and then the state government sees the world uh, in in a third way. And so having to interface with both federal officials and local officials um, has, has been a challenge. And I think we've Gotten better at it over the years, but it's uh, it's definitely uh, been a challenge. And, but like everything in life, I always try to create and identify when we can align incentives and create win-win situations in life. You know, a lot of a lot of people look at, at life and business as a zero sum, and I, I try not to look at it that way. I try to look at you know ways that we can create win-win situations uh, and, and just align incentives. Uh, you know, while always keeping in mind that our number number one priority is just doing what's right for the taxpayers of our state.
2: Along with the challenges you've encountered, uh, leading the effort under your charge um, can be fraught with unanticipated and uh, unexpected surprises. Uh, to that end, uh, what has surprised you most, Josh, since uh, becoming treasurer?
0: That's a great question. I, I'd say one of the, uh, the main surprises uh, has been the um, inability um, to uh, convince young people, um to vote. Uh and listen, regardless of who they're voting for, whether it's, you know, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, Libertarians, Vegetarian, what have you, um, you know, I think that uh that I would call it a duty, that obligation to to, to vote. It's tough to convince young people to get there. And the, some of the perspective I have is, you know, I was in the Marine Corps, I did a couple of tours in Iraq and, you know, guys who died over there in iraq and afghanistan and obviously in previous generations vietnam korea world war ii you know the oath they took to uphold and protect and defend the constitution you know they're really protecting and defending the rights of their peers and fellow young people back home to go um vote and have their voice heard in democracy and when you see so many young people not do that um it's frustrating so it's you know, that 's sort of like a been a side project of mine just to inspire and motivate young people to just take hold of their country um, and it, it's it 's been frustrating i mean it's 's it's, it's, it's been a challenge and i, I don 't know if statistically i don 't know if it 's any different today than it was during the Vietnam generation or World War two generation I mean maybe the percentages of teenagers and folks in their twenties voting today is the same than it, it, it was in previous generations. I, I just don't know. But what I do know is today it's very low. And that's just, uh, you know, it's been sort of surprising to me. And um, it, it's been unfortunate that we've been uh, unable to change it. But I guess you got to take the long view and the long play on that. And, you know, I'm going to, even once I'm out of public office, going to continue on that charge to, to try to convince young people to, to really engage in their democracy and the, and the democratic process.
2: And Josh, I'd like to know. You kind of hinted a little bit about yourself uh, being in the military and uh, an elected official in the state house, but uh, could you tell us a little bit more about your career path? How did you begin your career, and what brought you to your current leadership role?
0: Sure. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I was I was in the Marine Corps. I uh, went through boot camp in in Paris Island down in South Carolina. Did a, a couple tours in Iraq along the way. I was in uh, um, Anbar Province, which is the western portion of, our, of Iraq in '04, and then went. Back again for part of the surge in 07, 08, uh, got out of the Marine Corps, and, and then have been involved in, in public service here in Ohio, um, was uh, in the state legislature. Now I'm a Republican, but I, I represented a district that was two to one Democrat-Republican, to Republican. and so the way I got elected was I, I went out there and I knocked on approximately 19,679 doors, uh, wore out three pairs of shoes, and... Just did it the old-fashioned way and got elected and and represented a middle class, by and large, district in in the Cleveland area, a very ethnic district, a lot of Polish families, Italian families, Ukrainians, Slovenian, Jewish, and, um, you know, represented just good, hardworking, Midwest modest people in the Cleveland area. Uh, and then uh, in the legislature, I was the ranking member of our Financial Institutions and Securities Committee, dealt with a lot of uh, issues pertaining to you know, investments, the State Bureau of Workers' Compensation, and some other investment and in financial issues, and leveraged some of my leadership on that committee to run for State Treasurer. You know, when I ran for State Treasurer, I was basically told, hey, kid, you're too young, wait your turn. You know, I was, I was told that I look like I'm 19 years old. No one's going to vote for you with that baby face. And I was told the last time an incumbent state treasurer been knocked off was 1958. It was just impossible to win. And I went out there and just sort of drove all around the state, me and uh, my campaign manager and spoke to every little group that would have me in, whether it was a uh, Kiwanis club, Rotary club, future farmers of America, big groups, small groups, anything in between, and just sort of out my opponent and uh, was a, uh, Elected as the, the top vote getter of any of the state statewide uh, executive candidates that year, and uh, it was reelected in 2014, and have been in the state treasurer's office here the past eight years. And I'm actually termed out uh, uh, in uh, in mid January, so uh, we'll be transitioning, uh, you know, out of uh, out of state government in, in mid January. And you know, my my wife and I, we we live in the Cleveland area. We've got three little kids who I took to school this morning. We've got uh, uh, Rosie, who's five years old, Judah, who's four years old, and Gideon, who's, who's two years old. And, uh, you know, we, we decided to stay in the uh, Cleveland area, even though I, I worked down in Columbus uh, because of uh, because a variety of reasons, but mostly you know, mostly because that, that's where our family is. You know, my parents, my in-laws are there, my sister, one of my brothers-in-law, a lot of just cousins under their family, and we just, we just wanted to raise kids around family.
2: So given your experience, uh, Josh, both as an elected official and uh, as a, uh, a member of the military, what are the characteristics of an effective leader and who has influenced your leadership style most?
0: Definitely uh, some of the, the leaders, you know, under whom I served in the in the Marine Corps. You know, there's there's different leadership traits and principles that they, they hammer into you and instill in you <clears throat> in the Marine Corps. Uh, one of the most important ones that I took from the Marine Corps and have really applied uh, in my, my leadership here in, in the state treasurer's office is uh, bearing, you know, not, not being too high in the good times, not being too low in the bad times, just maintaining bearing and, and calm and, and focus all the time. And I, I think people who are part of an organization, they, they look to their leaders to Signal you know how they should be feeling oftentimes, and if you have a leader who gets too excited in the good times, then oftentimes the team will be too excited in the good times, or if you have a leader who um, gets too down or low in the bad times or loses his cool in the bad times, then others will do the same and so you know I think just staying level and maintaining bearing regardless of the current situation is a very important leadership trait that the, the Marine Corps instills in Marines. And it's one that I've definitely carried with me in, in public service. Uh, another one is obviously integrity and character, you know, doing, doing the right thing when no one is watching. Um, and I, I think that's, it's, it's, those are like kitchen table values as well. You know, we're trying to instill in our kids is, is always doing the next right thing and, and, and especially doing the right thing when, when, when no one is looking, um, those are some of them, you know my, my drill instructor, one of my drill instructors from Paris Island um, is uh, one of the people that truly really, um, shaped and uh, instilled and motivated me and, 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 and really crafted the way I, I, I work and operate and, and, and see the world you know both as a husband and a father and also as a, as a public servant. And so I actually still stay in touch with one of my drill instructors there from, from Marine Bootcamp in Paris Island. Obviously, there were a lot of other Marines along the way that I I served with that impacted me in all different ways. You know, one of the nice things about the Marine Corps and the military in general is that it's completely blind to race, religion, socioeconomic background. You know, in in general, you know, what they instill in you is like, listen, we don't care – you know, what color your skin is. We don't care what religion you are. We don't care where you come from. We don't care how much money or little money your mommy and daddy have. You know, you're all equally worthless to us. You know, is essentially the the, the joke they, they say around boot camp. But what they're actually saying is all we care about is are you a good Marine and you take care of your fellow Marines. And that kind of uh, uh, character and straight arrow mentality and uh, and loyalty are you know, the kind of values that I want to instill in my, my kids uh, and they're the kind of values that I want to instill in any culture uh, of any organization in which I'm involved, especially the ones I'm leading.
2: What is OhioCheckbook.com? We'll explore this question and so much more with Josh Mandel, Treasurer of the State of Ohio, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Josh Mandel, the outgoing 48th treasurer of the state of Ohio. As state treasurer, you've helped uh, take Ohio's financial ranking, I understand, from 43rd up to 7th in the nation, and uh, something you should be very proud of. Uh, But to that end, would you outline your strategic vision uh, that has guided your office, and what were your key priorities?
0: Our number one goal has always been... uh... Uh, keep the tax money safe and secure, make sure we're protecting it, uh, not a penny out of place, like everything's safe and secure. Um, beyond that, you know, I believe taxpayers have a right to know how their tax money is is being spent. And so, you know, I've also spent a, a ton of time and energy on advancing the cause of transparency. I mean, we, we built this online checkbook initiative called OhioCheckbook.com, which really, for the first time in American history, put online this much information in a way that's so easy to search and navigate. You know, As of today, there's over $690 billion of, uh, of state spending on OhioCheckBook.com, everything from two bucks for a pack of pencils to millions of dollars for road contracts and everything in between. Uh, and it's been ranked three years in a row, the number one transparency website in the country. And that ranking comes from the U.S. Public Interest Research Group. You know, I'm a Republican. U.S. Perg is a, known as a left-leaning group. It was actually started by Ralph Nader. And so one of the nice things about this issue of transparency is that it's completely – I wouldn't even call it bipartisan. I'd call it nonpartisan. Like, it, it just has nothing to do with partisan politics. In fact, what I what I've observed in this transparency cause – is that the folks who support it are across party lines. They're mostly people who embrace technology and have nothing to hide. And then the people who oppose it are mostly folks who are like good old boy politicians, have something to hide, and or are afraid of technology. And so the fact that politicians hate the online checkbook and taxpayers love it, to me signals the fact that we should crank the volume on it. And that's what we've been doing. We've been just cranking the volume on this uh, online checkbook and putting online as much information as possible. We started with the state's checkbook online, and we got so much positive feedback that I sent a letter to every Tom, Dick, and Harry, mayor, city council, school board, county commission around the state, and invited them to join our movement. And I told them if they voluntarily – Sent us their their financial data. We would host it and post it on OhioCheckbook.com for no uh, no cost to them. And so, yeah, it's been a fun project. And we, uh, we 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 sign up more and more local governments every every day. And one of our other objectives in the office um, has been beyond OhioCheckbook.com to leverage technology to make government more efficient and to just do, do good for taxpayers. And so, you know, we, we've created these new investment accounts, investment options for individuals with special needs. You know, we've created this cryptocurrency tax payment portal, OhioCrypto.com, which is the first website in America that allows taxpayers to pay their taxes at the state level with cryptocurrency. And we've also modernized the treasury management systems in the office, you know, the way that, um, Pension custody works, and um, cash movement works, and cash processing works, and uh, in general, just modernized it. We were essentially driving like a 30-year-old car when we came into this office. It was just a very old and antiquated a computer system that was managing the money, and so now we've uh, we've brought it up to the 21st century.
2: So, Josh, you mentioned uh, OhioCheckbook.com. I'd like you to kind of expand on it. Uh, How does it work? And perhaps you could share some of the key features of OhioCheckbook.com and some of the benefits of the entire initiative.
0: Sure. The way it works is is pretty simple. You go on OhioCheckbook.com. It has a Google-style search bar, and you could just type in any state agency. You know, big ones like the State Department of Health or Department of Education. You know, small ones like the Barbers Board or the Dentals Board, and everything in between. And uh, you can just search for all their spending. You could also search by vendors if you want to see what a certain law firm or consulting company or road construction company what kind of business they begin from the state you could see that you know you can you you can search by vendor type of expenditure state agency you can compare year to year it's got all these different cool features and one of the nice things is that you don't need to be a computer expert to do this it's intuitive to the very basic uh, computer user. user. It, it right now has 11 fiscal years worth of data. As I mentioned, $690 billion of spending, uh, 6.4 billion pieces of spending information, and it's over 183 million individual transactions. Uh, we, we, we've had over a million searches. As I mentioned, we, we've put online all these cities, counties, and schools in addition to the state spending. It, it, it really sets a new national standard for, for government transparency. And what we're hoping to do is, is really inspire a national movement, inspire other states to either replicate what we've done or ideally outdo us and create this race for transparency. And if we could build up, build up a critical mass of states shining sunlight on spending, eventually hopefully we can inspire the, the federal government to follow suit.
2: Yeah. As a follow-up, uh, you're not stopping at state spending. Um, so as you leave, what's next for Ohio Checkbook? What lessons have been learned and how have other states contacted you to adopt the concept or sought your advice?
0: They have. You know, we, uh, there's, a, there's a young, sharp state auditor next door to us in West Virginia. His name is J.B. McCuskey. Um, he has uh, put the West Virginia finances online. He's really embraced state spending there and He's really built a profile in the state of West Virginia as the young guy who wants to use technology to shine sunlight on spending and empower the taxpayers, and we've definitely worked with other states as well. There's a fantastic nonprofit organization called Open the Books. It's run out of Chicago, and they've done a terrific job shining sunlight on spending all throughout the country, on governments throughout the country. And there's, just, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on uh, in, this, uh, in this space. And there's also you know, private sector companies that have uh, popped up who are, who are helping government to really advance the cause of, of transparency. So th- this issue of transparency, it's a really empowering issue, Um, to to taxpayers. And it could take, um, you know, someone who yesterday was very cynical about the democratic process and how government works and today really empower them to to take control of their government and hold politicians' feet to the fire. Uh,
2: Along with a race towards transparency, uh, which you are a recognized champion of, another important goal of your office during your tenure was safely protecting tax dollars. To that end, how have you improved your office's operations Eliminated Waste and Saved Taxpayer Money.
0: Yeah, so when we first came in, we did a, a top-bottom review of the entire office, looked in every nook and cranny from the previous administration, and figured out where we could find efficiencies and cost savings. You know, we cut bills, we cut wasteful spending, big things and small things. And we've generated about a $9.4 million surplus since taking office in 2011. Uh, we also refinanced some of the debt, saved the taxpayers around $58 million doing that. Uh, and then, you know, we've, we, we, we've, as I mentioned, looked big and small on how we can Save save taxpayer money, cut spending, and, and use technology to really stretch the tax dollars.
2: Since taking office in two thousand eleven, you sought to refinance outstanding state debt. Uh, would you tell us more about your efforts around debt management?
0: I mean, as we saw the you know interest low interest rate environment, we viewed it as a, as an opportunity to refinance debt and, uh, and and save money for for taxpayers. And so, uh, I've surrounded myself with. Bright, intelligent men and women um, who've brought to me a lot of good ideas, this one of them. And uh, I said, Listen, you got a good idea, let's do it. And uh, they went out to the marketplace, executed, and over time have saved the taxpayers uh, over $58 million. And so, uh, you know that that I think is a perfect example of why we need more people from the private sector coming into government. You know those kind of ideas generally aren't generated by folks who've been in government their entire life. You know those kind of ideas I think uh, often uh, come into play from people who who've done it outside in the private sector.
2: So the treasurer's office offers investment options for local governments within the state of Ohio. Uh, I'd like to talk about two: the State Treasury Asset Reserve, Star Plus, and Star Ohio programs. What is the purpose of either of these programs, and how have you sought to innovate the use and management of these programs?
0: So, the the, the state of Ohio has approximately three thousand nine hundred sixty-two uh, local governments and school systems. So you got like big cities like Columbus, you know, big counties like Cuyahoga, which is where Cleveland is. You got um, you know small. Villages, you know, with only a few hundred people and townships and everything in between. And, and so oftentimes, especially with the smaller school systems and, and villages, they just don't have the expertise at the at the local level to invest the dollars. So oftentimes they will send it to the state treasurer's office and the state treasurer's office will pool it and and invest it on on their behalf. You know, this is a a concept pooled investments that has been around for a long time. It was actually pioneered by one of my predecessors many years ago in the state treasurer's office here in Ohio – and, uh, and now it's become the norm in state treasurer offices and fiscal offices around the country. And so, um, you know, we, we have a good investment staff here in our office who, who, who've thinking thought outside the box and done some creative things with uh, the management and investment of local local government dollars. And, you know, I, I think if you go and talk to cities and school districts around the state, they appreciate some of the innovation we've made in this area, which has allowed them to generate better rate of return for their tax money. And remember, this tax money, I mean, this is the – Actual money, the local level, that's being used to, you know, buy books for for the school school libraries to make sure the they could buy new school buses that are safe and secure for our our kids. You know, it allows cities to buy a new snowplow to plow the streets. You know, th- these are the nuts and bolts that make our local communities go. And so, if we can generate a little more return on that investment, and a, a school system has, you know, a couple hundred thousand extra dollars at the, the end of the year, you know, they could put that, that money to work. Where if a, a city's got an extra million dollars, you know, they could put that money to work um, to either uh, return it to the taxpayers or, or invest in the infrastructure and services and operations of their city or school.
2: Is Ohio the first government in the world to accept cryptocurrency for payment for government taxes? We'll explore this question and so much more with Josh Mandel, Treasurer of the State of Ohio, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Josh Mandel the outgoing 48th treasurer of the state of Ohio. Uh, Josh, Ohio has become the first state in the United States and one of the first governments in the world to accept cryptocurrency for payment for businesses to pay their taxes. Can you describe the events that led up to this decision to accept Bitcoin for taxes? Uh, Would you tell us more about the decision-making process and the stakeholder engagement involved in making this decision?
0: I've been a crypto enthusiast for a long time, and I've also been a technology enthusiast. And, and the, the my, my enthusiasm about technology really comes from how we can use it to make government more efficient and save money for taxpayers and just make taxpayers' lives on a day-to-day basis easier. Uh, and so the thrust behind OhioCrypto.com was to give – more options and ease to taxpayers and how they pay their taxes. Prior to this, they could pay their taxes via check. They could pay their taxes via uh, ACH. They could pay their taxes via credit card. And now with OhioCrypto.com, they have a new option to pay their taxes via cryptocurrency. And the fee to pay your taxes via cryptocurrency is now actually lower than the fee fee to pay via credit card. So it's just another option for taxpayers. Another reason we launched OhioCrypto.com was to really plant the flag in the state of Ohio uh, as a state that is embracing blockchain technology, and really send the message to entrepreneurs and software developers around the country, listen, if you want to build a a technology business, come to Ohio and do it. And we're seeing a growing investment thesis among venture capital firms who are moving away from Silicon Valley and starting to invest more and more in the Midwest. I think part of it is driven by the fact that the cost of living in the Midwest is so much less expensive that the do- investment dollars go farther. Um, you know, it's, it's just less expensive to, to build a company here in the Midwest. But also, I think that a lot of investors are, are starting to uh, realize that there's been a lot of overseen talent uh, in the Midwest. And you know, while the New York and San Fran and the coasts have often seen places like Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Missouri as flyover country. Um, that was a, a, an incorrect viewpoint. Um, actually, what it is is it, it's a it's a robust epicenter for hardworking, strong-valued people um, who want to come to work early, leave late, be creative, uh, and uh, it's a great place to build a build a technology business. And so, a second reason we launched OhioCrypto.com is to, to try to attract um, folks who want to build technology business. And the, and the third reason we did this is to try to bring more legitimacy to the crypto space. You know, For a long time, naysayers of cryptocurrency have argued that until the government recognizes it, until you can actually pay your taxes with it, it's not real. And uh, you know, we're trying to cut the legs out from beneath that argument because now you can pay your taxes with it in the state of Ohio. And hopefully other, other states will follow suit. And ultimately, if we can build up a critical mass of states allowing their taxpayers to pay taxes in crypto, ultimately the, the federal government will follow suit as well.
2: So, yeah, Josh, I'd like to elaborate on that. How does uh, OhioCrypto.com work? What are some of the key benefits in pursuing uh, this approach? And, and more importantly, what are some of the core challenges you faced in accepting cryptocurrencies for payment?
0: Yeah, I mean, as, as I mentioned earlier, our, our main priority in the treasurer's office is to keep the money safe and secure. And so I was not ready or comfortable launching OhioCrypto.com until I was 100% confident that through the entire process, the cryptocurrency tax payment process, that the tax money would be safe and secure. And so that was the major challenge we worked through in building this, um, was to make sure that the money was safe and secure. And, um, you know, we ended up working with a, a payment processor called BitPay. They're headquartered down in Atlanta. They were the first company in the United States to get into this cryptocurrency payment space and They've been uh, great to work with. You know, my staff has worked with them on the minutiae and the details and all the feedback I get from my staff uh, is that they've uh, really punched above their weight and uh, gone above and beyond to make sure the process is easy for Ohio taxpayers and the money is safe and secure throughout the process.
2: Are you only supporting Bitcoin or also the other cryptocurrencies that BidPay supports? Does Ohio eventually plan to hold cryptocurrencies instead of immediately converting them to dollars?
0: Great question. So the first phase of OhioCrypto.com is limited in two ways. It's limited in that we're only accepting business taxes via cryptocurrency, so 23 different business taxes. And it's also limited in that we're the only cryptocurrency we're accepting to begin with is Bitcoin. However, what I envision for future phases of OhioCrypto.com is to expand in different ways. First, to expand from just business taxes into individual taxes to allow individuals to pay their personal taxes via cryptocurrency. And then we'd also like to expand it beyond just Bitcoin. You know, We are agnostic to the specific type of cryptocurrency. And so we'd like to allow other cryptocurrencies to be used beyond just Bitcoin and paying their taxes. But those are for future phases of OhioCrypto.com.
2: Uh, what are your thoughts, Josh, about the current bear market affecting cryptocurrencies?
0: It doesn't really impact OhioCrypto.com. You know, never in the process for the state of Ohio, will be holding cryptocurrency as an asset of the state. The way it works is uh, the taxpayer will take their cryptocurrency wallet on their smartphone or their computer. They'll transfer their cryptocurrency to the payment processor, BitPay. And then BitPay will convert the cryptocurrency into U.S. dollars and transfer those U.S. dollars to the state of Ohio treasury. And so nowhere in the process uh, will the state of Ohio be holding cryptocurrency as an asset of the state. And because of that, we don't bear any risk when it comes to uh, any volatility in the market.
2: So, uh, Josh, we, we talked about blockchain, uh, which is integral uh, to the use of, of, of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. How else are you leveraging technological advances to improve the operation of your office and achieve better outcomes?
0: You know, one of the things we did early on in our term was uh, digitize and launch an online state property map portal um, where, uh, you know, we were able to digitize, you know, state properties. Um, it, it essentially allows the public to view all state-owned land and buildings through a Google Earth uh style program. Um, some other things we've done, uh, you know, we call it the Treasury Transparency Project. Under that umbrella, we posted all public salaries online so you could see how much I'm getting paid or the governor or any employee in state state government. We also put online teacher salaries and university salaries. Um, you know, on, uh, on top of that, we've uh, uh, put a lot of the public pension salaries online. And so it's you know, this issue of transparency is one that I've really embraced. And, uh, you know, I think for any public official out there who's looking to empower taxpayers, they should uh, lead on the issue of transparency.
2: Josh, you've led the way on uh, exciting new initiatives that seeks to improve the lives of individuals with disabilities. Would you tell us more about the launch of Ohio's Stable Accounts? How does this program offer financial independence to people with disabilities?
0: Sure. So, Prior to Congress recently changing the law, uh, if an individual with special needs, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, other types of disabilities, autism, what have you, if they had a net worth of over $2,000, they would be at risk of losing their health benefits. If you think about how low that ceiling is, I mean, $2,000 is a very low ceiling. So what would happen is if there was someone with special needs who was high enough um, uh, performing where they could you know, work at a grocery store or work at a workshop or you know, w- you know, work at a company doing w- whatever was appropriate, they couldn't really keep the money they were earning. So they were essentially forced to work in slave labor if they wanted to work. And then secondly, if a family member wanted to give them money for a Christmas gift or birthday or whatever, they couldn't really keep it beyond $2,000, know, w- which was just bad law. So Congress, in a bipartisan way, to their credit, changed the law and said to the states um, – if the states want to, they can create 529-styled investment accounts for individuals with special needs, uh, and these 529 accounts would have a threshold over 400,000 instead of 2,000. And so, we decided to be the first state in the nation to do that. We've really led the charge, uh, and um, you know, right now we have over. 10,000 enrollees in uh, you know in the in the stable account program, um, around 4,600 here in Ohio and around 6,200 around the country, and it's been game changing and really empowering for individuals with special needs. And let me explain like why it's important. So let's say you have a son or daughter with you know Down syndrome or autism. You know when they're a child, when they're a minor, you as a parent will take care of them financially, but Once they become an adult, they're in their 20s or their 30s, and you as a parent, you're getting older, you're in your 70s, your 80s, it's stressful because you start thinking about like when you pass on, who's going to take care of your child with special needs and how are they going to be able to live a happy, independent life if they want to? Uh, And so what we're really trying to do here is foster independence and happiness for individuals with special needs and really remove the stress from the parents when they get up in age. And and, and that's what we've been able to do is really – empower and enable families to put away money so their children with special needs uh, can can have an independent lifestyle when they get older.
2: So, Josh, it, it's my understanding that under your leadership, Ohio has earned a AAA rating. Um, I'd like you to kind of tell us more about uh, how you did this and uh, what were some of the issues you dealt with.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about the uh, variables of safety, liquidity, and yield as being the priorities in maintaining a uh, a high rating, you know, safety and security, the tax money always comes first, you know, liquidity and, and yield in that order. So you know, we, we've created a culture in the treasurer's office where safety, liquidity, and yield is just hammered into people. Uh, and they also understand that first priority is safety, then you got a big drop, then liquidity big drop and then yield. And as long as, uh, you know, our investment folks and uh, cash management folks and folks in our trust department, you know, keep those priorities in line, we've been able to uh, maintain good high credit ratings.
2: So, Jessica, as you close your tenure out as uh, the Ohio State Treasurer, um, I'd like you to talk about some of your key accomplishments. Would you tell us what you're most proud of?
0: And probably the the one I'm most proud of is building the online checkbook ohiocheckbook.com you know this has been a first of its kind transparency website in the country uh, we've earned Ohio the number one ranking in America for government transparency three years in a row, and it's really set a new national standard for government transparency and how to shine sunlight on spending and empower taxpayers to hold politicians' feet to the fire. And we call it a movement because we, we, re- we really think it is uh, a move uh, around the country uh, to transfer the power from the politicians to the people.
2: And now we, as we look into the future, what is your hope for the treasurer's office as it evolves?
0: You know, listen, we, we've we had uh, our share of successes here. We've also had challenges. And, you know, I think the, the new state treasurer coming in is going to build on some of our successes. But I think he's going to create his own as well. He's a talented guy. He's a good guy. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see him take this office to the next level.
2: So turning to the future, what trends do you see over the next few years in uh, municipal public finance?
0: I think technology is a know, a game changer moving forward. You know, a lot of people uh criticize the the president for, you know, his use of Twitter. You know, I will tell you one of the things that's refreshing is to see public officials talking straight to the people. You know, it used to be that a president of the United States or senators or governors, you know, the way they would like communicate with the people is through a TV camera. Or you know through the newspaper reporters and their 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 voice was translated and sometimes it came through clear sometimes it didn't um, but like one of the refreshing things about modern technology is that taxpayers can interface directly with their elected leaders and I think the more that Joe and Jane taxpayer and citizen has access to their public officials and can hold them accountable and communicate directly with them. Like, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, and I, 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 I just believe that technology is going to continue to change the way that citizens interface with and hold public officials accountable. And I think net net, that's a, that's a good thing.
2: You know, I, I, I need to ask you during your time as uh, Ohio State Treasurer, how did you use collaboration and partnerships uh, to improve operations and achieve program outcomes?
0: I, mean, I think being collegial and you know, working um, across party lines and you know, trying to see uh, folks' side of the issue who might be across the table from you is a good thing. Um, I also think standing your ground and being principled is important. And, and I've always made decisions based on principle, based on you know, what I believe was the right thing to do and you know, sometimes that meant ticking off the leaders in the Republican Party. Sometimes that meant ticking off the leaders in the Democratic Party. Sometimes that meant ticking off the media or my supporters. But I, I I never made decisions based on you know how it would impact me politically. You know, I made decisions based on what I thought was right for the people I represent, and I made decisions based on my core values, and that let me sleep at night. You know, you know when you know you're doing things for the right reason, when you know that you're using your core values and your integrity as your compass, um, it allows you to sleep well at night.
2: And now, uh, as we close, um, what advice would you give someone who's considering a career in public service?
0: I I think one of the most important things uh, is to maintain your core values. Uh, You know, what happens with a lot of folks who enter public service, sometimes they might enter with good intentions and then they fall to temptation. You know, fortunately, I have not had that problem. And the advice I I would give to anyone entering public service is you got to know who you are when you come in and you make sure when you leave public service, you're leaving as that same person. Um, Maintain your core values, maintain your your principles And, uh, you know, when you make decisions, make decisions that, um, you know, you'll be, you know, that'll make your kids proud Um, that, you know, when, when, when when you're old and retired and, uh, you know, your kids or your grandkids, you know, are looking back on the the life you lived and the decisions you made in public office, you know, make sure that, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're proud of what you did. And uh, listen, they're not always going to agree with you. Uh, your family's not always going to agree with you. Your friends aren't always going to agree with you. Your uh, folks in your political party aren't always going to agree with you. Uh, your supporters aren't always going to agree with you. But if people know you're doing things for the right reasons and they know you're, 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 you have a good moral compass that's driving your decisions, you know people will, will, will believe in you as a leader. And I, I guess that's the best advice I, I would give to someone entering uh, the public arena.
2: As we close this discussion with the State of Ohio Government Executive, I would like to revisit a previous conversation on the State of Ohio Leadership Institute with its Executive Director, Trevor Brown, the Dean of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University. So that's next up, when the conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org.
0: How is the Veterans' Appeals process changing? What are the key priorities for the VA Board of Veterans' Appeals? How is the implementation of the Veterans' Appeals Improvement and Modernization Act of 2017 going? Join host Michael Keegan next week as he explores these questions and more with Cheryl Mason, chairman of the Board of Veterans' Appeals within the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour, Mondays at 11 on Federal News Network.
2: Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. Governments today face serious, seemingly intractable public management issues that go to the core of effective governance and leadership, testing the very form, structure, and capacity required to meet these problems head on. Today, most effective government leaders can spark the imagination to look beyond the day-to-day urgencies and reflect on the serious problems and critical challenges they face. Leaders are responsible for envisioning, shaping, and safeguarding the future, creating clarity amidst uncertainty. This is no small feat, and it is made increasingly difficult in the 21st century, where rapid unforeseen change seems to be the only constant. What is the mission of the State of Ohio Leadership Institute? How is it developing the next generation of Ohio's elected state and local leaders? I'll explore these questions and so much more with Trevor Brown, Executive Director of the State of Ohio Leadership Institute and Dean of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University. Trevor, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks. It's good to see you again. So Trevor, would you tell us more about the mission of the State of Ohio Leadership Institute?
3: It's very simply to develop the next generation of uh, state and local elected leaders in the state of Ohio.
2: Mm-hmm. What when did it start? And, and more importantly, what prompted its creation?
3: It's a pretty remarkable guy, the current speaker of the House in Ohio, a gentleman named uh, Cliff Rosenberger, a uh, very young man, second youngest speaker in the history of Ohio. Um, and at one point in time, the youngest speaker in the country. Uh, he's in his mid-30s. Uh, and interestingly was coming to the end of his term and thinking about what kind of impact did he want to have beyond his time in office. Uh, and interestingly, he reflected on his own personal circumstances. Here he was, the youngest person in this role in a long, long time, uh, and yet he was going to have to leave. And why was that? It was term limits. And uh, his insight was that uh, term limits had really reduced the ability of the legislature to play its role as a co-equal branch of government. Uh, Term limits had ceded power to the executive branch uh, and interestingly to to lobbyists. Um, They were the enduring institutional memory of the state of Ohio uh, and not the citizen legislators that term limits were were supposed to, to bring into office, which they did. Uh, And so I think in a a perfect world, maybe we'd get rid of term limits, but those are constitutionally enshrined now. The the state of Ohio embarked on those in the uh, early 1990s, uh, and I don't think there's any great uh, push to get rid of them. And so the next best thing he, he could envision was creating a resource for that next generation of leaders moving into elected office to prepare them for the, the the magnitude of their of their roles. So he he wanted to place this in a university uh, because he thought that would be an enduring institution that was neutral and a and a third party uh, and and would be respected by by that, that next generation of leaders coming coming into these elected roles. Trevor
2: Burrus Is it just elected officials or are you also um, working with appointed
3: officials too? So the aspiration is to serve both, um, elected and appointed. Um, Because it's the state legislature that's provided us this funding, we see those as our principal client, so to speak. Uh, But over time, as we deliver more programming, the hope is to expand that to reach as many people who are new to their roles, inclusive of the staff. Mm -hmm. Um, We often neglect the staff when we think about the, the infrastructure of leadership uh, that goes around with elective service. It's not simply the person who was nominated and appointed or, or elected, um, it's, their, it's their staff as well. How did you get funded? So uh, Speaker Rosenberger in his um, role as the, the Speaker of the House oversees the legislative process around the biennial budget in the, um, in the state of Ohio. He, he worked this through the, the state budget, and so it, it is an authorization and a contribution from the state to, to start this. But we also have brought other resources to bear in, in this as well. The university through the Glenn College, where this will be its home, has provided some resources as, as well. And we will seek out philanthropic resources too.
2: So as you're building the institute, what, um, what are some of the key leadership programs you're offering?
3: So we are in the development phase, um, and the first programming will roll out this summer. The first is a leadership academy. It will be residential on the campus of Ohio State University, taking elected officials out of their day-to-day life. We're going to do it in the summer when it's not the thick of the governing process. The state legislature session will be over then. Um, And the idea is to take them away from the immediate requirements of serving their constituents uh, and get them to reflect beyond campus, put them in uh, experiences where they're with their peers at the state and local level. It'll be a mix of state and local and with experts, uh, both academics and, and practitioners. So one part will be uh, this residential leadership academy. A second part of this is a series of conferences, symposia, bringing thought leaders together to both share lessons learned, but also broadcast out to the broader citizenry about the good work that we're doing. Part three will be trying to get young people engaged, a mission that we in higher ed have all the time, but fortunately the speaker saw this as an important Build the pipeline, right? And so it's getting high school students and and college aid students not just interested in public service, which is, again, a mission we have in the college, uh, but in elective service. Uh, This is an era where lots of people who used to think of serving their constituency – it's not on their radar. Perhaps it's the divisiveness of politics. Perhaps it's the intrusion into your personal life that comes with uh, running for office. All those things are still present, but we, we need young people to be thinking about this as a not necessarily a career, but as a part of their, their public service. And then there's a fourth part that we will develop, which is a series of training modules in, in key areas, ethics, the budget process, key policy areas, health policy, trying to get resources uh, in front of these decision makers uh, in in ways that they can consume it efficiently, could be in-person training, could be online, could be podcasts, could be a variety of ways to convey information to them. And what what do you see the are the benefits of of, of, of these tracks? So I think the f- most fundamental uh, is that it. Later, leadership training raises people's horizons. Just the act of inviting someone or or asking them to apply gets them thinking beyond just what do I need to do today to advance my career. Oh, I I'm a leader. I I am here to represent a broader set of interests than just myself. And so, just participating in leadership training really raises people's sights and gets them thinking. Longer term, temporally, yeah. what's what's going to happen down, down the road, but also horizontally, if I'm an elected official, I don't just represent the 51 percent that voted for me. I represent all of my constituents. So that's the most fundamental um, value of this. More practically – it will put them in a room with uh, or put them in contact with thought leaders and, and people who who are experts in this area whether by virtue of having served in positions like this before or their academics who've thought a lot about this and done analysis and then you're building a network you're you're building a peer network of others at the in similar positions going through similar experiences and one of the things we know from from years of personal experience and from research is that To be an effective leader is not just a singular personal activity. It's building a network of people who can support you. I call them up on the phone and say, I've got this problem. Can you just listen to me for a little while while I talk (laughs) through this? Um, And then they offer those lessons that that they've learned. And so that's going to be a tremendous benefit of this as well.
2: This has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour on developing the next generation of government leaders with Trevor Brown. Executive Director of the State of Ohio Leadership Institute and Dean of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness and leadership. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us.
1: This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.